0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Hi, Maddie. What's, uh, M- Maddie, what are you, what are you doing? Maddie? Maddie? Cry. You okay? What is going on? What's wrong? Nothing. Are you sure?
1: Oh, you must know my cells have been crying.
0: What do you mean your cells have been crying?
1: Well, that's literally what the endocrine system means. Oh
0: boy. Welcome everybody to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Today we're doing the endocrine system, but before we begin, let's do some housekeeping. What is the housekeeping? The housekeeping is you can follow us on Instagram at GU Biosciences. You can follow us on Twitter at, uh, what is it, GU Biosciences, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. We've got Facebook. Again, just search for Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. If you like our podcasts please 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 go on itunes and give us a review make sure it's a good review if you think we're crap just don't give us a review uh Maddie, how are you uh
1: well past my crying
0: past your crying so what do you mean what's the link between crying and the endocrine system
1: i well i think the word is derived en- endocrine just means internal secretional cellular crying
0: cellular crying yeah Oh, well, that's interesting. What's uh? What are the cells crying?
1: Uh, they're crying hormones, right? So that they are special chemical messengers, um, which is important to circulate through the body, just like a communication city system. <laughs> um, and good start. Yeah, good start. Um, how
0: is that different to the s- nervous uh, system?
1: Yeah, uh, nervous system is a lot quicker. Yeah. A lot more localized. So, if you imagine... Direct. If you put a uh, message into the blood, it's going to go everywhere. Mm. And so, that's essentially what the endocrine system is. Uh, It's a cluster of glands throughout the body, and they secrete their respective hormone or chemical, and that's the cryin.
0: Into the fluid surrounding it. Yeah,
1: into the fluid around it, unlike, say, um, other gland structures like... um, Say sweat glands yeah. or certain pancreatic glands, like when you secrete um, enzymes, digestive in, enzymes, they go into a duct, which then goes to a direct point. That's the exocrine yeah. function
0: of the pancreas, not the endocrine. That's
1: right. So an endocrine is releasing chemicals that will go, I guess, extracellular fluid, but then will get uptaken into the blood. All right. So and so in theory it can go anywhere.
0: So, examples of these glands include the hypothalamus, the pituitary glands, the heart, the pancreas, the thyroid, the uh, parathyroid, uh, the adrenal gonads, glands. the adrenal glands, yeah. any other hormones, uh, glands you can think of? There's probably a whole bunch, I suppose.
1: So you said the main ones, I think. Um, and these
0: are glands that have cells that release these hormones. Yeah. Now so, I- so, so d-
1: basically, the endocrine system includes three main things, the glands themselves, the hormones that they release, and the target tissue that they act on.
0: Okay. So, okay. if we have uh, a gland that releases a hormone, and that hormone then acts upon the actual cells that release that hormone, that's called an autocrine function, right?
1: Oh, so it on, on its own self.
0: Yes, auto. And Or, if you have a gland that releases a hormone, and this hormone doesn't jump into the blood system yet, but floats around the extracellular fluid and acts upon adjacent cells, so cells close by. Yep. This is called paracrine okay. functioning. Yep. So para meaning nearby, nearby, or around. or around. And when the hormone is released from the gland into the bloodstream and travels to areas distal to that of which it's been released, that is endocrine function. Okay. Happy with that? And these these hormones can be of different derivatives. So, they can be amino acid-based, right? They can be peptide-based. So, amino acids are obviously like arginine, lysine, glycine, you know, the 20 basic amino acids. Or they can be peptides, which are just chains of amino acids. Or they can be cholesterol-based, so steroid hormones, Hmm. right?
1: And I guess just to give an overview of what the endocrine system can preside over... Hmm. You're talking things like reproduction, so creating new offspring. Metabolism, so that is what?
0: Uh, Anabolism and catabolism, so building things up, breaking things down.
1: So it's around energy. yeah. Osmolarity, so that's to keep your solutes in your blood, would you say? Yeah, in check. Okay. Uh, Embryological development, so that I guess is not only helping you to reproduce, but to keep the fetus going inside. So obviously at this point in time in our human um, development, we've only got females that are, can produce a or have a fetus growing in them.
0: At the moment, yeah. Yes.
1: Michael's <laughs> working on that at the moment. I'm working in on the that lab. to no success. <laughs> <laughs> um, metamorphosis and digestion. So, they're the main kind of endocrinal controls.
0: And so these hormones, the way that they control this is that obviously the gland will release the hormone. And like I said, it can be amino acid-based, peptide-based or steroid-based and it will go to a particular target cell. Now, I think it's important to state that if it's a amino acid or peptide-based, because they're proteins, they're not very soluble in water, right? So they actually don't float around in the blood by themselves. They have to be carried through the bloodstream by proteins, by, by ca- other carrier molecules, okay. basically. Um, they also have their effect on the surface of the cell. The, okay. the, on the, for the target cell, has their effect on the surface. Steroid, sorry. That's true, but they're not carried by proteins because they are, they proteins, are proteins and they're charged and so they like to be in the fluid. Let me take that back. It's the steroid. So it's based. a fat. They're fat-based, right? So that means they don't like to be in the fluid. So it's the so steroid hormones that are have to be bound carried. to proteins. They have to be carried by proteins. So I do take Can that you back. you give me an example? Uh, th- the thyroid-based hormones.
1: Okay. Or maybe cortisol.
0: And cortisol as well. Yeah. And so they need to be carried. And when they get to their target structure... They, need to, they go into the cell because cells have a fatty bilayer, right? So, the steroid-based hormones don't work on external receptors. They work in the nucleus inside the cell. They yeah, work on transcription.
1: Okay. Cortisol is a good example because you might give cortisol or cortisol-like cream um, for anti, its anti-inflammatory yeah. effects. And because it's a steroid and it can potentially go into every cell's nucleus and change the transcription or the way that the DNA is read and play it around with, Um, it can act on any cell, right? Yeah. Unlike the protein ones that you mentioned. Good point. And that's a problem because when you're trying to apply it, let's say you want to give a steroid, you want to make sure it's only going to act on the cells that you want it to act. So, say in inflammation of the skin, which is called?
0: Dermatitis. Uh, Dermatitis. You
1: are best to apply it just on the skin. Topically and that's why it's got a low percentage because if you just
0: I always get the high percentage. So you put it all over your body. Give me 1%, that's high.
1: That's going to cause some serious problems. So that's why yeah, it's, it's only topical. Damages in that your area. skin. Yeah. Makes it weaker. And that's that's the problem with some things that have um Go on. um steroids that are given systemically like yeah. prednisone. Yes. It's very systemic. It's the big problem.
0: Swelling. Mm.
1: Anyway. Um I was going to say something but now I've Was it interesting? I thought it was, but um, I guess n- it
0: was about carrier hormones, hormones that have been carried throughout the system. You're going to talk about cortisol. All right, let's. Okay, what are we focusing on today? Because we're actually not just yeah, focusing yeah. So on the endocrine we're, we're, system. We're going to
1: focus. So, with the endocrine system. So, I think we might preface this by saying that for the next few podcasts, we might have the theme of the endocrine system. Um, but today, we'll focus on the major player. Of the endocrine system, I think it's fair to say. What's it called? Um, the, the the guy or the girl that plays the biggest part in the endocrine system. Yeah. The the major yep. chief.
0: You're building it up quite well. <laughs> or chief S.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: which is hypothalamus.
1: Like, uh, yeah. Or the hypothalamus
0: pituitary pituitary axis axis. We'll call it that. Okay.
1: Um, where is it? So pituitary. What's pituitary mean? This is an interest, interesting one for you. I don't know. It would have
0: been good if you maybe warned me and asked me before the podcast. What does pituitary mean?
1: It's derived from phlegm. Ugh. So, it's the phlegm gland. Well, that's what they thought it was. Why? I don't know. Oh, I should have done your research into that, Maybe Maddie. it looks mucousy.
0: The gland does. You've seen it before. You do a lot of cadaveric dissections. Does it look mucousy? I don't think it does.
1: What's well, hard Is to, it the secretions of It's hard look to mucus-y. say because the actual pituitary gland sits in a little fossa. Which is... What's a fossa? A little... Groove. Groove or divot or impression. Depression. I don't know. Whatever. Um, <laughs> which is um, translated as a Turkish Turkish saddle, the selica tersica. Um, selica so Oh, shut up. All it right. sits in there, <laughs> but what I'm getting to yeah. is in a cadaveric specimen, if you were to try to remove the brain, yeah, the pituitary gland is sealed off from the rest of the brain in this little cavity. Okay, so wait,
0: so if, let's just say you were to take the skull off, yep. go, coming in from the top. Where well, you could see the brain sitting in See the brain in, the sit in, yeah, and so you, pull, you pull, pull, the brain, pull the brain straight out. The pituitary gland would get ripped off. And stay inside the, the skull. The
1: telosol, the turcica.
0: Telos, the turcica. Yeah. And so where does that sit? So if, I'm looking at you right now, yeah. where is it directly behind, would you say? Like behind uh, your nose? Like yeah. back behind your nose? So the
1: bridge of your nose, if you keep going straight back, yeah. you kind of walk
0: go towards in Right, to so basically the centre of your head?
1: Well, there's a diencephalon, so you kind of go, if you follow your optic nerves back, and mm-hmm. remember, remember last week we spoke about the optic nerves and they kind of then come to a, push co- that out a chiasm, of head. Yep. where they kind of cross over, that's right near the pituitary gland.
0: It's right above it, right?
1: Yeah, and that's um, why some adenomas, so benign tumours, I guess you'd say, of the pituitary gland can then go up and press on the... Um, the optic chiasm and the the person can present with those tunnel vision. Remember, you you, uh, learn, yeah. you lose your um, temporal vision. Gotcha. So, um, so we're focusing my on point hypothalamus. is um, there is a diaphragm that goes over the top of the pituitary gland that seals it off. This is kind of like dura matter that seals it off from the rest of the brain, and that's important for blood Let, brain barriers. Is it
0: above the the pituitary? Or is it above the hypothalamus?
1: The the diaphragm. the diaphragm, it the, the sits the above the pituitary gland, and that's what. But below
0: the hypothalamus.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so so it seals the pituitary gland off from the rest of the brain. Yeah, which would be, if you look from an anatomical location, it would be below the hypothalamus. Okay,
0: yeah. now, so for those who can't picture it, I mean, I I do recommend you Google it and have a look at the hypothalamus connected to the pituitary. Sort of looks like two li- little dangly bits right the anterior and posterior pituitary glands
1: well yeah it's it, you won't really see it anatomically it'll just look like a P.
0: yeah but if you look at uh images In like uh schematic, a, a, images, schematic images they'll
1: separate it for that
0: yeah that's right and so the diet so the hypothalamus is would you say it's part of the brain So that again the hypothalamus is part of the brain yeah and then you've got these two and i'm going to say this loosely because i know you're going to correct me two extensions of the hypothalamus which are the pituitary well, glands
1: um Go to the actual other term of the of the pituitary gland is what? What? What's the other name of it?
0: Of the pituitary? Yeah, no, I don't know.
1: Hypophysis.
0: Hypophysis. That's right.
1: So hypo is below. Yeah. Physis is growth. So it's a below growth. Okay. And so I guess they thought it was this kind of outpouching, outpouching growth of the of the brain. So you're right by saying, in theory, it is kind of a outgrowth Extension. of the brain.
0: But that's not true for both anterior and yeah, posterior. So the it? wait, before we go into that, mm. I think it's just important for everyone to know that the hypothalamus is often known as the master regulator of homeostasis. Yeah. So it does it plays a role in controlling the autonomic nervous system, which we've spoken about, sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system. It plays a role in controlling that. This is the hypothalamus. This is the hypothalamus. But also is a master regulator for the endocrine system. Okay? Because yeah. it will send signals to the anterior or posterior pituitary glands respectively, right? And tell them when it's time to release certain hormones that go throughout the body, right? So what we're going to talk about is we'll start talking about the hypothalamus anatomically and its embryological development very briefly and then that of the anterior and posterior pituitary and then what hormones the hypothalamus releases to stimulate the pituitary gland and what they then release and then where they go and what they do, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: And, it, and when you look from a clinical point of view, um, generally any endocrine disorder has to do with probably, I'm guessing, but I think just going back to the first principles, it's th- three kind of major issues. Mm. It's like a secretory issue. Yeah. So, the actual um, Cell. The way that the secretion of the hormone is um, carried out yeah. is problematic. So, it's either too much or not enough. So, it's either hypersecretory secretory or... Insufficient secretory.
0: Yep, so hypo.
1: Or the way that it acts on the actual um, receptor itself. So whether it's a, on the cell receptor or within the cell receptor. So it's a, um, what do you call it on the membrane?
0: Extracellular. Okay.
1: Or, you know, within the nucleus or something. Or, or integral. Uh, or the way it's sensitive to it. And that's more so, say, in diabetic type 2. So insensitivities. Where you become insensitive more so to the hormone. Yeah. So, I think they're the main three sources of pathology. Yeah. So, when you think, and we'll go through these briefly today, more in the context of the pituitary gland and the hypothalamus. All these diseases that we will mention are kind of on the basis of one of those
0: three things. Sounds good. Happy with that? Let's get into the hypothalamus.
1: All right. So, the hypothalamus or pituitary gland... Um, should we talk about its embryology first?
0: Well, I think that you're frothing at the mouth to do this. So, you'll start talking about it and I'll stop you when I think every listener... Is asleep. ...is asleep and hates right. you. Just before that point.
1: So, but, all right. So, the first... Which one do you want to go? Anterior or posterior?
0: Start with the hypothalamus.
1: Oh, okay. The hypothalamus is just really a... The center part of the brain, which is the diencephalon. Yeah. Um, which... Works alongside, the say, the thalamus. So, you have this big bundle of um, what do connection,
0: we com- what connection com- fibres. So, what do we commonly call the thalamus? I don't
1: know. What do we tell
0: us? The sorting centre, right? Okay. So, all... Switchboard. Sens- the switchboard. All yeah. sensory uh, input to the brain goes to the thalamus first and then basically, like a post office, determines where that signal needs to go and will yeah. send it to the right area. Or like area. the old
1: telephone patching in and patching out, right? Where they, Yeah. Someone calls in oh, I like to that. an operator and then you kind of put it to another...
0: It's just hard because then you have to explain the analogy to our students because <laughs> they've never had to experience that, unlike you. Probably not a hard phone either. Everyone's
1: got mobile phones.
0: That's yeah. true, so you can't use that analogy. All right, so the... the Post hypo- offices will be gone soon too, I reckon.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the hypothalamus sits below, obviously, hypo means below, the thalamus, the switchboard. Yep. Okay. Um, So, you've got this whole center area of your brain called the diencephalon. That's just one part of it. Um, And so, there's kind of a a localized area called the hypothalamus, which Michael explained does quite a lot of things in your body. Um, I don't really think we need to say much more than that. Um, Now, embryologically speaking, um, the pituitary gland, or at least the posterior pituitary, is just an extension of... The hypothalamus.
0: Okay. So, so, what do you mean?
1: Well, the brain is just, in most cases, just a collection of neurons, right? Mm-hmm. So, the hypothalamus has these extensions of neurons that, in one place, just comes, pops out and goes down towards that Turk turkish saddle, and that's the posterior lobe of the uh, pituitary gland. So, it's really just a, an extension of the hypothalamus. Gotcha. So, it's not... A gland on its own.
0: It's just nervous tissue. That's right. Sometimes it's recognized as neuroendocrine.
1: Or neuro Okay. And so,
0: that's
1: that's the most accurate term anatomically speaking. So, to say anterior and posterior is very difficult yeah. to discern. Mm. And so, it's better to say functionally um, that you have the neuro-hypothesis, which is just an extension of the... Hypo, uh, hypo- hypothalamus. hypothalamus. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so hypothalamus is a collection of nervous tissue. And, the posterior anyway. And and then this collection of nervous tissue of the hypothalamus extends out to the posterior pituitary gland, right. which basically is, again, just an extension of the hypothalamus. It's That's nervous right. tissue. Just, just neurons. Okay. so, th- now so I don't think
1: we'll, we'll, we won't go into what th- that is at the moment. Well, yeah, what let's that, that means. The, let's put the anterior in. Are we happy with that? Yeah, do it, Matty. All right, so the anterior actually comes from where, do you think? The front. <laughs> it actually comes from almost the back of your throat. What? So the pharynx. pharynx.
0: Yeah. Wait, what do you mean?
1: Well, um, when we as an embryo, we had kind of um, this big tube that goes from your mouth to your anus.
0: Oh, here um, we that's go. That's
1: like your gut tube.
0: You can't go one podcast without talking about the mouth to anus tube. Mm-hmm.
1: As I drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um so from the mouth end to the pharynx, this um, was kind of this collection area that um, starts to seal off and then form your 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 face, your mouth, your tongue, all that stuff, um, throat.
0: It's connective tissue. Uh,
1: it's um, in well, it's got a combination of ectoderm, which is probably more so skin now, yeah, and endoderm, which is um, the mucosa and the glands and also so epithelial tissue. Yeah, and so w- the rest of the, that whole tube. Going to develop your digestive tract, yeah. Except the final part, which is your anus rectum, which is, uh, I guess, in in derivative a homologue hmm. to your mouth. What? <laughs> anyway, I think going off track there. The out of the back of the pharynx, yeah, is where the anterior pituitary gland comes from.
0: Okay, so I can't picture how something can originate at the back of my throat and end up up in my skull.
1: Yeah, so it's got to migrate. So it's got these cluster of cells from ectodermal origin will have to migrate back and then sit quite... Intimately? Yeah, with the posterior.
0: Okay, so that means that... Okay, so that means that it is itself a true gland. Yeah. Unlike the posterior.
1: It's a cluster of cells that have migrated to then be localized in one area. So, now, it's important th- no nervous
0: tissue associated with it?
1: No. Oh. So, it's important to know um, that when we talk about the endocrine, endocrine system, that in many cases when we go and look through the vertebrates, hmm. um, before we get distinct glands, um, in the lower vertebrates, sometimes they're just clusters of cells. Okay. So, they're not in a distinct region. And so, a good example is this the anterior and posterior pituitary. They've obviously come, they've originated from totally separate origins, but somehow through our evolution, they've now come together. Good Another hard. good example is the adrenal gland. You've got, in, in theory, kind of three different clusterings of cells. You've got the medulla, and you've got the different parts of the cortex. Which so, the
0: internal part and in the outer shell. Yeah, and they do
1: very distinct things. Mm. You know, one's all about um, stress hormones. Or catecholamines, like adrenaline. Yep. The ones about um, the glucocorticoids, which is like cortisol. Yeah. And then ones about regulating osmolarity. So, yeah. they're very distinct, but somehow in our evolution, they've come together.
0: Interesting. Makes sense? Yep. All right.
1: So, the anterior, so this is, this is what you should be thinking about. The posterior, because it's just a neuron connection straight from the brain, yep. they're not really hormones per se. They're almost better to say they're neurotransmitters. Okay. Okay. But, because the anterior has come in to the pituitary gland, they're a separate bundle of little cells that do their own thing. They need to be regulated from a higher center. Okay. okay? Which is coming from the hypothalamus, but they don't have a direct neural connection. So, they need their own kind of blood supply between the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary gland. So, there's an a separate little portal system of blood that goes from the hypothalamus just to the anterior pituitary that helps regulate the release of the anterior pituitary gland hormones.
0: Okay, so you're saying that if we think of the hypothalamus as being in control of both anterior and posterior pituitary glands, that if the hypothalamus was to control the posterior pituitary gland, that there is simply nervous tissue or neurons that connect the hypothalamus to the posterior pituitary. And so what that means is the hypothalamus will create certain hormones or neurotransmitters and And carry them down the neurons to the posterior pituitary where they're stored and released. Right. And so
1: think about a neuron. What are the main parts of a neuron?
0: Uh, you've got the cell body. Yeah, which has got the nucleus. that has got the
1: nucleus. That's, the nucleus, that's the where big, things are made. All the m- big machinery.
0: Yep. and then you've got the axon, which is the longest portion. That's
1: long projection.
0: And then you've got the uh, terminal bodies.
1: Terminal. And so, with that in mind, the body itself is up in the hypothalamus. So, they're clustered together. And so, that's going to be its own nucleus, okay, with a long extension coming down and that where you've got a collection of axons. And that's going to be the infundibulum. Which, or the pituitary stalk.
0: Yeah, so the highway between yep. the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And
1: that, that's the area that gets ripped off when you pull the brain out in a c- cadaver. Ah, okay. okay. And then it goes into the pituitary, in this case the posterior, which is just the end of the neuron, which has got the, all those neurotransmitters ready to be
0: released. Okay. But compare that to the anterior. So if the hypothalamus wants to stimulate the anterior pituitary gland, it yep. the hypothalamus will release its own hormones into the local bloodstream that's there. What's that local blood supply called again? So it's just a portal
1: blood vessel system. Okay.
0: Okay. And so it releases, so the hypothalamus release hormones into this localized portal blood vessel that will travel down the infundibulum, that stalk, and go down to the anterior pituitary gland where those hormones from the hypothalamus will then stimulate cells of the anterior pituitary. Or inhibit. To create so, two, two options. It's to create, create their, their own hormones.
1: Or say no more
0: secretion. To create their own hormones. Mm. So, that means that one of the biggest differences is the posterior pituitary gland does not create its own hormones. It will receive them from the hypothalamus, yeah. store them and release them. And the anterior pituitary gland will create its own hormones in response to hormones released from the hypothalamus. Excellent. Thank you. Perfect. So, I think before that's usually what we see in an exam. We write that in an exam all so the time. So, before
1: we move on, um, I'll just give you a quick comparative anatomy. Nah. No, thanks. So where we're do we say, <laughs> no, we're we're fine. Where did we say that the anterior pituitary come from? My throat. Yeah. And so, with, again, lower, lower vertebrates like fish, um, that was sitting in the throat, so it's a a very important area to regulate the, the water coming in through the fish's mouth, through its gills and so forth. And so, it can regulate the environment of the water.
0: Wait, so the pituitary glands are still in the throat of the fish?
1: Yeah, well, at least part of
0: it. And so, as as fish just s- swim through the water and the water goes into their mouth or through their gills, yep. the concentration of that water will touch these glands or cells at the back of their throat mm. And measure the water concentration,
1: or certain attributes about the water. So it will measure. I like if there's temperature, blood, temperature, yeah, temperature. And so we know in us, what's the master regulation centre? It's hypothalamus. Yeah. So they, that's one. So that makes sense. It it regulates or it picks up chemical the ch- chemical environment of the water. So if the osmolarity changes, so if the fish is swimming between salt and fresh, it needs to respond to that, mm-hmm. and so it, that would then go down to the kidney, which we know the pituitary gland has an effect on. It would also um, look at certain um, nutrients or so, so forth in the water. So, if it's lots of nutrients, then the fish is going to be promoted to growth, so like growth hormones or prolactin, or um, wanting to reproduce, because obviously you don't want to reproduce and then there's no nutrients around and you're going to be starving. So, that would then make sense, right? That yep. That you've got this thing that would be sensing the environment that the fish is in.
0: All right. So, that's for fish. Is there any, any other animal you want to compare us to?
1: Well, it makes sense because if you think, um, say prolactin, yeah, which we'll talk to in a second, in mammals, you would prolactate, so it's all about milk production. Yeah. But in lower vertebrates, it has a very big influence on other behaviors, particularly growth. Okay. And so, they say with prolactin, that can also influence metamorphosis. So, change in maybe even the sex. And we know that uh, fish, in some fish anyway, oh, yeah. it can change sex.
0: Prolactin can, in, it can change the sex of a fish. Right. So, or change in metamorphic
1: changes in the fish. And we know that, well, at least, I think this year's three-minute thesis, one of the um, finalists looked at barramundis in Australia. Yeah. And they were looking at why barramundis are likely to go um, from a male to a female. I think they go female as they get older.
0: And um, why? Was it because And of a big influence is temperature. So,
1: yeah. um, temperature changes, and that could be important for global warming.
0: Stimulate these cells yeah. to release prolactin, yeah. and there's prolactin-mediated sex change. Yeah. Interesting. So, But we don't get that.
1: Not that I'm aware of that prolactin influences our... Besides, milk production. Okay,
0: but we can talk. But about I can't that. go bathe in the sun and become a woman. Not. Well, that's unfortunate. Right I don't think. All right. So. No, <laughs> yeah, okay. So. All right. Any other animals you want to compare to?
1: I think we can do it later, but no, not at this point.
0: Thank Christ. All right. So. Let's begin. With posterior anterior.
1: What are their terms in, again? The yeah. other names. Uh, oh, we spoke about the neuro hypothesis. Yeah. So, that's... Uh, Hypophysis, again, just means pituitary, right? Yeah. Um, neuro means it's regulated by the So, that's the, the posterior pituitary. Gland. What's the anterior? What is it? It's not neuro. It's adeno.
0: Ade- adeno. Yeah.
1: Adeno-hypophysis. I know a bloke called
0: adeno. So, Adeno-hypophysis.
1: So, adeno, I think, is gland. Okay. Glandula?
0: Yeah, so like an adenocarcinoma is a cancer of a gland or a tumor growth of a, on a gland. Okay. All right. So, are we going to talk about the hormones released from the start, hypothalamus first? Uh, well,
1: let's start with the posterior pituitary because, okay. because it is that extension of the hypothalamus.
0: Okay. So, the good thing is that there's only two hormones that are produced by the hypothalamus that travel down the hypothesis. Or the stalk. Or the stalk to the posterior pituitary gland that is then stored and released from the posterior pituitary gland. Yep. What are these two hormones?
1: All right, so um, the first one. Which one do you want to do first? Uh, we'll do the, m- technically the one that's m- most abundant in the posterior. Which is? I think it's approximately 80 to 90% of the mass well, of, the, of the posterior pituitary. And which one's that? Well, that's the hormone or technically the neurotransmitter, but. ADH or vasopressin?
0: What's ADH stand for?
1: Antidiuretic hormone.
0: Okay. And its other name is vasopressin, did you say?
1: Yeah. And I think you were just saying something interesting fact or something about it.
0: Yes, of course I was. If I was speaking, then it was going to be... So, antidiuretic hormone, also known as vasopressin, the reason why it's got two names is because there's two major systems here involved in its release, right? So... Firstly, it's important to know that vasopressin or antidiuretic hormone. So, I'll probably just say ADH and I'll be referring to... What
1: does vasopressin sound like? So, vaso
0: means blood, right? Or blood vessel and pressin means pressure. And so, it seems to have an effect on blood pressure. Hmm. Antidiuretic hormone, anti means the opposite or against. Diuretic or diuresis means to release water or fluid. And so, antidiuresis, like urinate, urinate, antidiuresis means to hold on to fluid. So, you may go, wait a minute, if they're the same thing, why do they have names that talk about two different functions? And it's because two different systems usually stimulate this hormone from being released. So, one stimulus is that of blood volume. So, reduced blood volume will usually stimulate the release of this particular hormone. Now, uh, by its effect on baroreceptors, so pressure receptors. And these pressure receptors are located in the carotid arteries, mm. the aortic arch, mm. and in the atria of the heart.
1: There, that would be more too much pressure in that case. Though, but there baroreceptors are baroreceptors
0: yeah. In, yeah, in the atria of the heart. Um, so, pressure changes. So, usually reduced pressure. So, work will, off that premise.
1: Yep. So, you have low blood pressure. Low blood pressure. So, you could either have lost blood. Correct. Or you're dehydrated. Yep. Um, there's less stretch in those arteries correct? because there's less blood. Um, so these little neurons which are picked up in the carotid or the aortic I arch. Well,
0: firstly, why is that a bad thing? Why, why does our body need to respond to low blood volume? Like well, why, why can't we just survive with it and then just wait until we increase the blood volume again? Why can't it be so variable? Why does it, why does it need to be relative at a particular level?
1: Well, blood itself is an important um, tissue that's going to carry uh, a lot of important things around, like oxygen. And as we know, you can't survive well without oxygen for long. And so, if you can have a low volume of it, not enough oxygen to get into the areas that you really need it, like your brain, heart, kidneys, and you'll die.
0: That's right. So, we need a certain pressure behind that blood to take that blood volume, which has the water, uh, which has the oxygen, to all the tissues for perfusion which is, you know, to swap oxygen and carbon dioxide to feed it. And so, blood volume drops, then, like you said, we don't get enough oxygen. So, we need to respond to this quite quickly. And so, like you said, we've got these receptors, baroreceptors, meaning pressure receptors, in our blood vessels, and they can respond to this. And so, a decreased stretch can go to the hypothalamus, tell it there's a decreased stretch. And that's probably
1: via the glossopharyngeal nerve from cranial nerves.
0: Which is number nine. Yes. Yep, and the vagus nerve as well, I would say. So cranial nerve 9 and 10 will travel to the hypothalamus, say, hey, blood pressure's dropped, or at least we think it means blood pressure's dropped because the stretch is reduced, and it releases ADH or vasopresin, whichever one you want to call it, travels down the uh, hypothesis or the infundibulum or that stalk via Mm -hmm. a neuron and gets released by the posterior pituitary. What does vasopresin or antidiuretic hormone then do? It travels to the... Kidneys, the right. collecting ducts yep. increases little pores in them called aquaporins, specifically aquaporin two. This is a little channel that tells the water to jump back into the bloodstream,
1: which I think we did in the kidneys. So yeah, we, we definitely we did.
0: Which then increases blood volume again. Yeah, but
1: so it's two main functions of vasopressin or ADH. I think from now. I on didn't say what
0: the other one was. I only said oh, okay. reduce blood volume. The other one was a increase in osmolarity.
1: But that's through. Oh, you mean the the, the other stimulus. Effect. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So remember how I said that it's got to two the fish names where you got it sitting in your pharynx, testing the water.
0: That's right. Yeah. And so osmolarity is so we need to—is it the concentration of stuff in our blood? Yeah. Right. And so the osmolarity or the concentration usually is between what two eighty to three hundred milliosmoles. That's the concentration of our blood, yep. and it needs to remain within that range. And so if that concentration goes up. It basically just means there's too much stuff dissolved in our bloodstream. And that can mean a couple of things. It can either mean we've got too much stuff dissolved in our blood, in a normal blood volume, or we've reduced the actual fluid amount.
1: Like you've been dehydrated. Like
0: you've been dehydrated.
1: So you've vomited diarrhea or sit in the sun too long and lost a lot of sweat.
0: Yeah, so the fluid leaves, but the solutes stay, which makes it more concentrated. Mm -hmm. So both of those two things... Or you ate a lot of chips. Yeah, but what you'll find is that that does not drastically alter osmolarity. Or drinks seawater. Maybe drinking seawater would do it, I'd say. So, that's, that then will also stimulate the hypothalamus to release antidiuretic hormone, which will, again, travel down to the kidneys, collecting ducts, increase the water back into the body, and dilute out. So And the other big
1: effect that the um, vasopressin, but I think from now on we'll call it ADH, does, is acts on smooth muscle. In what way? It causes it to constrict, and so particularly in blood vessels will close them up, which bumps up blood pressure, particularly Uh, centrally. So it would close off, constrict some of the smaller blood vessels on the periphery, which pulls up or bumps up your central pressure, which is important because we spoke about why you need a good blood
0: pressure. It Uh, is, but did you know that the role of ADH, or vasopressin, is more so water regulation than blood pressure regulation. So the effect of ADH is more so on that of bringing water back into the body and less so on the blood pressure maintenance because that's more so acting from the renin angiotensin aldosterone system.
1: And you did say to me earlier that ADH also acts on the adrenal glands, right?
0: Why would that be important?
1: Well, I think it would also feed back to aldosterone, which is another um, hormone to help bring volume back into the blood. So, if but that works off salt, though.
0: Yeah, so, but end game is the same, right? So, if we've got a decrease in blood volume or an increase in osmolarity, ADH is released, travel to the kidneys, but also travel to the adrenal gland, stimulate the release of glucocorticoids, which is su- such as aldosterone aldosterone will then travel to the distal convoluted tubule and some other tubules, increase the reabsorption of salt back or sodium specifically back into the body and water will follow because water is dragged along with that osmotic gradient and then increases blood volume again. So it's sort of this two-pronged attack in that sense.
1: Okay, so let's just quickly summarize ADH then. So ADH is the major, in terms of its quantity, um, posterior pituitary Hormone, mm-hmm. which is really just a neurotransmitter from the hypothalamus. Um, so the nucleus, so the cluster of the nerve cells are actually in your hypothalamus, which is uh, the supraoptic nucleus, mm-hmm. which then projects down the interfundibulum or the pituitary stalk into the posterior gland and releases its neurotransmitter, ADH, into the blood. Now it's important to note that the actual blood vessels that take blood away from the pituitary, regardless of anterior or posterior, is actually outside the brain and outside the blood-brain barrier. Why is that important? Well, it's, I guess, in, important to know, let's say pharmacologically, that um, drugs, some drugs have a great action, but they can't get into the brain. Okay. And so, in theory, the pituitary gland's outside the brain. And so, in terms of what can get to it or what can get out of it, it doesn't have to go back. In the, the brain itself.
0: Okay, now so
1: the ADH, as a summary, is released either from a, a, result of low blood pressure or, high osmolarity, and causes two two main effects: low
0: blood volume or high osmolarity. Yeah, which is driven by pressure. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which one major effect is going to the distal convoluted tubule, or collecting duct, and it's going to cause water to go back into the blood from the urine side, which will make the volume increase the other thing it will do is to go to blood vessels constrict the peripheral blood vessels and bump up your central pressure is Mm -hmm. that fair?
0: That's fair now I think uh, it's important to say that there is what's called an osmostat you know like a thermostat like we know that there's a particular temperature range there's a particular osmolarity range like we stated between 290 and 300 milliosmoles Um, but In pregnant women, this osmostat changes. It's actually reset to a particular level because in pregnant women, the blood volume actually increases between, you know, four to eight liters, right? Which means...
1: Increases by it or goes up to it?
0: Increases to...
1: So, like doubles in amount or goes up to like eight liters?
0: That's right. Goes up to, yes, goes up to eight liters. So, so that's quite a lot. Yeah, it's quite, yeah, like, absolutely. So
1: for males, it's, we've got five to six liters. That's right. So, they're
0: another quarter above us. Hmm. And so, but this, okay, so the reason why this is important um, is because you've got an increase in volume, right? So, the, pituit- the hypothalamus needs to be reset to say, okay. okay, the volume is now different. In addition to that, you actually have osmolarity changes, So there's actually a shift in the concentration of stuff dissolved in the blood as well. And it needs to be reset to that. Now, the other thing is that there is an enzyme that's released called oxytocinase. And oxytocinase breaks down both oxytocin and vasopressin or antidiuretic hormone. And this is important because at around about 20 weeks of gestation to about 40 weeks of gestation... So halfway through. Halfway through. You can have too much oxytocinase being produced and this can result in not enough ADH being available. So what would that mean if you didn't have enough ADH available? What would be the physiological consequence of basically having no ADH? Urinating a lot. You urinate a lot. Now, what other disorder is associated with increased urination, polyuria? Oh, like diabetes. Diabetes. Now, diabetes is called... Diabetes mellitus. And what does mellitus mean?
1: Um, like malt or sweet. S- yes,
0: sweet tasting, mm. right? The, so if you don't have enough ADH, that can result in increased urination, polyuria, and this is a form of diabetes, right? Okay. But it's not called diabetes mellitus. It's called diabetes insipidus, which means no taste. Okay. Because this urine is very has a very low osmolarity. has no taste because there's no sugar in it and this is because there's no adh so in some pregnant women you can get diabetes insipidus due to accelerated metabolism of vasopressin and it's called diabetes insipidus of pregnancy okay does that make sense yeah it does but diabetes insipidus isn't just within pregnancy it can happen yeah so uh, in other cases right
1: that brings a good point so as we said earlier we're going to go through each of the hormones from where which gland, which part of the gland it's released from, but also pathology that's associated with it. So I think the main pathology that is associated with a posterior pituitary gland um, is what you just mentioned, diabetes insipidus. And so this is an ADH issue, okay, and it's either going to be from the pituitary gland itself as a problem or from a problem mostly in the nephron.
0: It could be a hypothalamic issue too, right? Yeah,
1: so it could be either... Yeah, I guess
0: that's because it's coming from
1: the hypothalamus. Yeah. So, it's either a central issue. So, it's either central or neuro... Sorry, nephrogenic. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I was going to say... And or going to what you said, so with, when you've got gland and a glandular problem, mm-hmm. the endocrinologist would want to find out um, where it's actually occurring. So, if it's actually at the final point of secretion, that would be a primary problem. Mm -hmm. If it's coming from the pituitary gland itself, which is now stimulating the gland, it would be a secondary problem. Or if it's coming from the hypothalamus, it would be a tertiary problem. Okay. So, I guess if a person is presenting, so let's say the diabetes insipidus, if a person's presenting to the doctor urinating a lot, the doctor would first have to figure out if it is diabetes, insipidus, or mellitus so yep. They would simply just do...
0: Taste test, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we passed that. To so just check the glucose concentration yeah. of the urine. Mm. Okay. And es- essentially what would be happening in these people, if you've got a low concentration of ADH in the blood or it's not working properly, you're going to have low urine osmolarity. So, the urine's very watery, but the serum, your blood, is very concentrated. Yes. Because you're losing all that free water because you're peeing so much. Okay, But then the next step would be to figure out, is it a ADH acting problem? So, is it a kidney issue or is it a central issue? And, okay. and then I'd probably just give an exogenous uh, ADH. And so, if it does resolve with exogenous, you know it's central. But if it doesn't, you know it's nephrogenic.
0: But it's not always by malignancies, right? Or tumors. It can be genetic causes. Okay. So, you can have mutations in the vasopressin gene or ADH gene and this can result in its reduced capacity. You know, when that gene is translated into a protein, then that translated protein may be dysfunctional and then you may not get the appropriate function of ADH. And Which, therefore- then,
1: would, which then probably would be the central. Yes. But uh, I think the main causes of central is like a space occupying lesion in the brain. So, the brain is being pushed on somewhere. So, it's... A, a tumour or a trauma or some kind of growth that's pushing on the hypothalamus which causes it to not release its ADH in the right amount mm-hmm. and that's going to cause a problem. Whereas the nephrogenic cause, so the actual problem down in the kidney, is most commonly caused by actual medication. Yeah. So some medications like lithium, which could be used for bipolar.
0: I think propanolol or, too. Or, okay, yeah.
1: or um, some antibiotics to have an effect in the kidney as well. All right. So, I think that's... And so, that's last point, last point with that is if a person does have, let's say, a centrally derived insipidus issue, they actually wouldn't give um, a direct ADH because what would happen is they would then get vascular changes that would outweigh the kind of um, osmolarity changes. Oh, those vasopressin effects. Yeah. Huh? And so, they would give B- a blood pressure. more weaker vasopressive effect and more of a kidney effect
0: drug, ah, which I think is
1: called desmopressin. Okay. And the, and the opposite side of that on the coin is not diabetes insipidus, but SIADH, which is syndrome of inappropriate ADH.
0: So, this isn't where we don't have enough ADH. Yep. This is where we produce too much yeah. ADH. And All right. And so, that's... Syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone secretion.
1: Yeah. So, this is um, surprisingly, you get volume overload. Yeah. Okay. But the main the main issue with this is you have a decreased amount of sodium in your blood. Decreased amount of sodium. And we know sodium is important for, as a neurotransmitter. Why? So Why does that happen? It just gets diluted out because you're retaining so much fluid. Oh, okay. okay? Because, you know, ADH is important for pulling the water back in from the urine, mm-hmm. and so the person would present more with problems of hyponatremia, which is low sodium, um, and so they would be irritable, they would be confused, potentially have seizures and so forth. Yeah. All right, so that's the, the, main, the main one of the posterior, but the other hormone the other neurotransmitter of the posterior pituitary gland is oxytocin which is what yes
0: oxytocin people often refer to it as the love molecule which is a lot of crap is it <laughs> it's a lot of crap it's 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 a what, oxytocin's a lot of crap oxytocin being referred to as the love molecule okay. is wrong is it yeah, people think, okay, oxytocin's released when you pick up your baby and you smell your baby and you're breastfeeding and all that is so true and it is a molecule that does affect bonding and bonding relationships, but it's not just positive bonding relationships. They've shown that when you create negative relationships, so let's just say you are a tribe in the rain, a rainforest somewhere, if you have a warring feud with another tribe, it's oxytocin driven your hatred for the other tribe. So oxytocin is the love-hate molecule. Even that's oversimplifying because Mm -hmm. it plays many other different roles. In actual fact, oxytocin and vasopressin, or antidiuretic hormone, are nearly identical. And so they actually came about from a gene duplication early on in our chordate evolution. So they're very, very similar. That's why when I spoke about oxytocin A's, the yeah, enzyme right. that breaks down oxytocin, it also breaks down present ADH. Presen, ADH. Yeah, right. That's right. So they're extremely similar and often when one's released, you'll have effects from the other one as well.
1: So with that said, I think what we should really focus on with oxytocin is its main effects that we do know it, what it does. So rather, so in an exam, if you ask what oxytocin does, rather than say the feel-good or the negative hormone that Michael just spoke about, let's put that aside yeah. as secondary importance. The primary importance is it also acts on smooth muscle cells, um, so more so in the female than the male. Yeah. So the big smooth muscle cells in the female that acts on is the myometrium, which myometrium. is the muscle of the uterus. Okay. So it causes that to. So myo means muscle. Yeah. To contract. So yep. Oxytocin's a big player in causing the expulsion of the baby. Okay. And so <laughs> expulsion of the you baby. You would imagine if you wanted to induce pregnancy, um, what could you give them?
0: You could give them exogenous oxytocin. Yeah, and so that would cause... That's what they the gave Cal. Con- ...contraction
1: of the uterus to get the baby out. The other thing it does is it acts on smooth muscle cells in the breast or the breast tissue or the glands of the breast tissue. Yeah. Which are the myoepithelial cells. Yeah. And that just squirts the blood out. It doesn't... Blood? Milk, should I say. <laughs> it doesn't... I was just thinking of blood vessels. It doesn't... Um, cause the production of milk that's prolactin okay but it squirts it, it, out. Squirts it out which is known as milk let, let down, down. Yeah. which so, is a strange
0: strange term i think
1: and so again we said hypothalamus hmm. and we said that the posterior pituitary is m- mostly a neurohypophysis mm-hmm. so it's really a nervous system extension yeah and so when you think of oxytocin just think of all the sensory feedback loops to cause milk letdown, what has to happen, really, Yeah, um, some kind of sensory change at the breast. So, suckling of the of the baby at the nipple causes sensory from the breast to the brain, which causes oxytocin release, which causes letdown.
0: And it's, remember, there's the positive feedback system. That's
1: right. I know it can have behavioral influence. So, just hearing the baby cry, then...
0: Yeah, Kel, a- Kel will hear Bub cry, and then next minute, his shirt's wet. Hmm. Because of letdown. So, it's it's amazing. She said she's got these, uh, her nipples have spider senses, spidey senses, like Spider-Man. As soon as the baby cries, they start to tingle and she goes, it's time to feed. (laughs) there you go. And the other
1: one is, um, in the uterus, just a stretch of the uterus causes a feedback
0: back into the brain. um, This is a perfect example of positive feedback because if Bub needs to come out, Bub Bub's head will stretch, will push on the uterus. That then will send a signal to the hypothalamus, which will release oxytocin, which will then tell the uterus to contract. Mm. But if you contract around the head of the child, it's going to result in more stretching, which then goes back to the hypothalamus and more oxytocin. So this is that positive feedback. And then what will happen is once Bub's out, there's no stretch on the uterus and that's how it will stop feeding back to the hypothalamus. But that's still a positive feedback system.
1: And I think... I just I'm a bit not entirely clear with this, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that is, if there is postpartum bleeding, yeah, um, oxytocin will be given. That's right to help the constricted blood vessels. That's and, right. And if you're not in a place to be able to get that, yeah, you just push on the fundus of the uterus, and that stretching will con- continue to release. No, I didn't oxytocin.
0: know that. I knew that oxytocin was so the for postpartum that bleeding. L-
1: listeners, just check that for its validity. But I'm pretty sure that's right. That if you are in a situation where there is a delivery, you have no uh, access to oxytocin, and there is bleeding, by applying manual pressure on the fundus of the uterus to the mother, it can stop the bleeding.
0: In you do this after you've consulted your
1: yeah. This is just um, theoretically. <laughs> I'm not giving clinical advice here. I'm you are not.
0: Sure. Now, so that's every that's, every mammal, did you know every single mammal and even pretty much breasts. every vertebrate, well, yes, every mammal does have breasts, well, every mammal has oxytocin and ADH, right? Every mammal has it. Every vertebrate also has an oxytocin analogue and a vasopressin analogue. So they're obviously both extremely important in what they do.
1: Yeah, also every vertebrate has some kind of... Gland.
0: Yeah. So, I, well, that's a good, good point. All right, so we moving on. Yes, we are.
1: Michael's just giving me some strange um, signing. What's with what's with the hand signals?
0: Uh, just interpretive dance. I was just trying to show. Oh, you're you.
1: telling me that we need to move on to the anterior. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: it wasn't a hand signal, more so a single finger signal, uh, being the middle finger, telling you you need to hurry up and shut your mouth.
1: Okay. So, with that said, we're moving on to the adeno-hypophysis, which is the anterior pituitary. Um, we'll, we'll move a bit quicker through this because we are almost in an hour. We haven't got to the anterior, which has more hormones in it. So, anterior pituitary, this has come from the pharynx. This is the one that relies on hormone secretion from the hypothalamus yep. to regulate it. So, basically, most of the hormones come from the hypothalamus down to the anterior are releasing hormones. They're going to tell it to release. But there are some instances where there are inhibitory hormones. The classic one is dopamine, which inhibits prolactin release. So, without hypothalamus, your anterior pituitary gland will just keep releasing prolactin.
0: Okay. Okay. So, before we jump onto that, the various hormones of the anterior pituitary gland are broken down into basically what they do. How many are there? There's basically six hormones. All of right. the anterior pituitary. Now, it's important to say this, and it's just basically reiterating what you said. The hypothalamus will release hormones that then will stimulate the anterior pituitary gland to release their hormones, which will go to other glands yep. to either have their function or to release even more hormones.
1: And that gives right? a good example of the tertiary, the secondary, and the primary effect.
0: That's right. Now, in,
1: in pathology.
0: when you have a hormone that goes to another gland to tell it to release its hormone, there will be a name, a little suffix in that hormone that's called a troph, Okay? Troth. I said troph. Oh, just reiterating. Oh, thank you. So... Troth. Troth. Okay. Which means to nourish, okay. to, to tell, basically... If like you, growth. Yeah, if you see the word, the suffix troph in the name of a hormone, like just know that it's going to another gland to tell it to release its hormone. So, for example, the anterior pituitary gland has somatotrophs and these are hormones that are released that tell the body to grow okay so this is growth hormone so somatotrophs yes
1: so somato means body that's right okay so the
0: anterior pituitary gland will release growth hormone that's one hormone the anterior pituitary gland will release something called lactotrophs so
1: lacto sounds like milk to me
0: that's right and this is prolactin okay the anterior pituitary gland release corticotrophs.
1: Which is, where, where's the cortex in this case?
0: This is specifically referring to the adrenal cortex.
1: Okay, so the adrenal is those, that gland that sits on the kidneys, yep.
0: And this hormone is called adrenocorticotropic hormone. All right. It also releases, the anterior pituitary gland releases thyrotrophs. Okay. Tells the thyroid hormone to release its hormone, or uh, the thyroid gland to release its hormone. And this hormone that's released from the anterior pituitary is called thyroid stimulating hormone. Okay. And then lastly, you've got the gonadotrophs.
1: Gonadotrophs. So, So gonads. That's right. Hormones
0: released from the anterior pituitary gland.
1: Makes the gonads huge.
0: Or at least least makes them release their hormones. Okay. So, the anterior pituitary gland will release follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Okay. And that will travel to the gonads. So, the ovaries for women and the testes for males and tell them to release their hormones.
1: Wonderful. Well done. That was excellent, Michael. Excellent. You're an educator. But... No, I'm butting in here. (laughs) With the posterior, we said that approximately 80% is ADH and 20% will be oxytocin. Yeah. Now go to the anterior. What percentage are we moving through?
0: Okay. So, the growth hormone... Basically constitutes forty to fifty percent right. of what's being released. Prolactin yep. is about fifteen to twenty-five percent. Okay. Uh, Adrenocorticotropic hormone is ten to twenty percent of what's being released. Follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, together known as the gonadotropins, uh, constitutes ten percent mm. of what's being released. And thyroid-stimulating hormone is the least, five percent of what's being released from the anterior pituitary. Brilliant. But they won't be released unless the hypothalamus tells them to be released.
1: And that's either driven by a releasing factor or an inhibiting factor.
0: That's right. But let's just talk about the releasing factor. All right. Are so, we going to go through each one? Oh, it's very very easy, very quick. Okay. So, for example, the hypothalamus, if the hypothalamus wants to tell the anterior pituitary gland to release growth hormone, yeah. it needs to release a growth hormone releasing Hormone. Okay. Okay. So
1: is that what it's called?
0: That's what it's called. So, so it's called growth hormone releasing hormone. Okay. Is That's wha- coming from the hypothalamus. That's coming from the hypothalamus. Okay. Travels through that blood supply. Yeah, so the portal portal
1: hypothesis system.
0: Yep. yep. Goes down to the anterior, tells it to release growth hormone, and then growth hormone travels around the body and does what?
1: I, well, surprisingly, Because you hear these used uh, in the media about people taking HGH for um, sports or um, getting big at the gym or so forth, right? So, you you hear people take HGH and get, you know, big buffed. Oh, yeah.
0: But surprisingly... Sylvester Stallone, for example.
1: um, Surprisingly, it's HGH from the pituitary gland itself doesn't really have a great effect on the body directly. It actually has a greater effect on the liver. Okay. So, it goes to the liver and the liver then releases certain modulating hormones such as insulin-like growth factor, which has the the effect on the body.
0: So, if you talk to a bodybuilder who's taken a huge amount of growth hormone.
1: And Michael knows this because he goes to the gym a lot.
0: Well, let's just say I go to the gym more than Matt. Which doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, a lot. It all. Now, <laughs> so you want once a year. <laughs> so bodybuilders who take growth hormone, like exogenous growth, growth hormone, yeah. right? They have to take certain drugs that protect their liver huh. because it overstimulates the liver. Right. And sometimes, if they want to bypass the use of growth hormone, they'll take exogenous insulin-like growth factors. Like I said. That's what right. livers releasing. But the problem with this is they get... Have you, have you... You probably haven't, but if you've watched bodybuilding contests compared from the 90s or 80s to now, you'll find that the bodybuilders, their body is different. They've got bigger bellies. They, yeah. they sort of look bloated in a way. They look just like everything is larger. Okay. And this is because of the insulin-like growth factors. It actually t- tells all the organs to get bigger. Really? Yeah. And so oh. is occupying more space within their body. There you go. Interesting, huh? That's why their bellies are distended as opposed to being nice and ripped and sort of concave in a way that it used to be in Schwarzenegger's time.
1: So in in his time, they were using more testosterone?
0: They were using more testosterone and they were using growth hormone, but they weren't using the insulin-like growth factors. Mm. Yeah, it's these insulin-like growth factors that just basically bombard each of these organs with taking glucose, use glucose, taking glucose, use glucose, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. So, you get these distended bellies because of its effect on the GRT. There
1: you go. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yep.
0: Um, so, that's growth hormone. Th-
1: all right. So, that's GH. Yeah. And, and we said that that is driven by uh, a releasing factor. Yes. But with this, it actually has a inhibiting factor as well, and that is somatostatin. So, somatostatin, statin sounds like stop in anyway. So, somatostatin is actually a inhibitory hormone Back onto this releasing
0: aren't statins uh, anti hypercholesteremia drugs?
1: Yeah, statins like it's totally different, right? Yeah, 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 that's right.
0: Yeah, okay, all right. So that is growth hormone. If we want the anterior pituitary gland to release adrenocorticotropic hormone, well, can we finish with growth hormone? Well, unless you've got other things to say. Oh, well, okay. I want to talk about overproduction, underproduction? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. So with pathology. Yeah.
1: So, this is where you have too much release of it. Let's start with too much. Yeah. Uh, If you have too much of it released from the pituitary gland, um, the outcomes will be different depending on if you're before puberty or after puberty. Okay. Okay. Now, before puberty, essentially all your growth plates in your body are still open. So, in your bones, Mm. you have growth plates which allow your long bones such as your femur or humerus to keep growing in length. Okay. That's why when we come out of a baby, we can then get to, say, six foot, whereas Michael hasn't really grown much from a baby, um, besides mm. outwards.
0: What's that bone plate called?
1: Um, the epiphysis.
0: Yes, the epiphysis, yeah.
1: Or the growth plate. Yeah. Now, that's very strongly affected by, you know, HGH or growth growth factor, or maybe maybe growth insulin hormone. growth um, and testosterone and so forth. So that's allowing it to grow at both ends and get your long bones bigger. Bigger. Yep. Now, if you have too much HGH release or growth hormone release, you're going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing and you could go seven foot and beyond.
0: Oof, I wish. Or I should say,
1: how, what's seven foot? Two, two and a half metres?
0: Two and a half, No. No, 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 no. Maybe two metres.
1: Oh, two, no. Yeah. Six foot five would probably be two metres, wouldn't it? You reckon? Well, I'm six foot three, I'm 190, so it wouldn't be much more. All right. So, we're pushing we push two and a half, wouldn't it? Two and a half s-
0: metres? I would say, yeah, six foot five is two metres. Okay. So, seven foot. Yeah. Anyway.
1: um, So, very tall, big person. Yeah. Gigantism. Yes. Is the term, right?
0: Gigantism, that's right. right. So, that's so, uh, is that's, this before the growth plates close? So, that's in puberty. Yeah. Okay. Seven foot is 2.1 meters.
1: Oh, okay. So, well. Yeah. 2.1 <laughs> meters. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the famous person who you see when you Google gigantism, it always comes up.
0: Is it Waldo?
1: Something like that. Yeah. Like he was Big. beyond centimeters.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so while,
1: while Michael's Googling that, I'll move on to what happens when you get excessive um, GH release after puberty. Okay. So, this is now...
0: Wadlow. Robert Wadlow. Wadlow. How tall? He he was (laughs) 2.72 metres. Okay. Let's see what that is in feet.
1: Um, So, if you have too much secretion after puberty, so all your growth plates are closed... Oh, he was nine foot. Nine foot. (laughs) So, he was nine foot tall.
0: He was twice my my height.
1: (laughs) So, if you have too much GH released after puberty, so all your growth plates are closed, what happens is the long bones can't grow anymore. Yeah. But what happens is bone, the bone tips start to grow. Oh. And this is called acro, which is tips, megaly, growth. So, acromegaly is uh, growth of the tips of the bones. So, the person would present with things like a, a growth, increased growth of jaw. Mm. Their eyebrow ridges would come kind of, Extended, yeah, they would get longer fingers and they will get bigger toes.
0: So the difference between gigantism and acromegaly, both of them are over overproduction of growth hormone. Yeah, but one happens before the growth plates are closed, which basically means you get this in proportion growth. Yeah, which is like Robert Wadlow. Yeah. Acromegaly is happens more so in adulthood, or at least post closure of the epiphyses yep. or growth yep. plates, which means you only get extensions of the bone, so extended en- edges and ends. But still,
1: and your body would get big, and so yes. you get a still get a big, huge person. Yeah, but you wouldn't grow as long.
0: Yes, and and it's not necessarily in proportion. Yeah,
1: and so you get things like a huge tongue. Yeah, because your fingers wrists have grown out of proportion. You can get carpal tunnel syndrome on both sides. Yeah, but in the olden days, the the first way that they could pick this up is either the hat size or the shoe size would be changing dramatically. Wow. Um, but the person's an adult, so yeah. those shouldn't be changing. And so that's how it was picked up. I think the most famous person with acromegaly is Andre the Giant. Is that right?
0: Oh, did he have acromegaly? I think so. Oh. oh, the
1: the guy off...
0: Anybody want a peanut?
1: The guy off you James Bond.
0: It. Oh, yeah. Uh, jo- um. Yeah, Jaws. Was it, was it Jaws? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they're the famous ones that I can at least. Yeah, he did report. suffer
0: from acromegaly onto the giant. He is, it was a great man. Have you ever watched Princess Bride? Best movie of all time. Need to watch it. Oh.
1: So the opposite of that, opposite of GH, is not enough GH. Okay. Um, so this is insufficient GH. Mm. Um, and so that would do the opposite of gigantism. It would do, I don't think it's politically correct to say dwarfism now, right? I don't know. Um, so, they call it achondroplasia.
0: Yeah, well, I know that we can call it that.
1: Okay, so that's just um, a decrease in pr-
0: long bone growth,
1: and so that would be almost the exact opposite. So, they call that actually, in both cases, they call it pituitary dwarfism or pituitary gigantism.
0: And now, th- the word achondroplasia, achondro, means so um, without cartilage. cartilage, right? So, basically, referring to no growth of the cartilage. That's right. I and, think those that can also, and those cartilage plates. I think it can
1: also happen from an point of view, actually problems with that plate as well. So you can okay. get dwarfism from the plate issue, mm. I think like fibro- fibroblast growth factor issues, um, down there, which is not pituitary driven. Okay. And so that's why I think it's distinct by calling it pituitary giant or dwarfism versus yeah. probably something else down.
0: Uh, and a lot of the chondroplasia the majority of it's g- through genetic mutations. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Alright, so that's GH. Let's move to prolactin. Do you want all to right. move to prolactin?
0: Yeah, let's move to prolactin. Okay, now, so, as you would think... I, I think we should do prolactin last. Oh. I'll tell you why. Because it I want to get go... fits in
1: well with GH though.
0: Yeah, let's do it last because the others quick... all, get, all get stimulated by the hypothalamus all right. to be released. And like you said, prolactin is always being released. It needs to be inhibited to stop. Okay. Right? So... so, the next one I want to talk about is if it, if the anterior pituitary gland wants to release adrenocorticotropic hormone, mm-hmm. so adreno, meaning adrenal gland, cortico, meaning the outer edge of the adrenal gland, tropic, means that it's going to the adrenal gland to tell it to release a hormone, hormone. So, if we want the anterior pituitary gland to release this adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH, the hypothalamus needs to release a hormone to tell it to release a hormone. So, the hypothalamus releases a hormone. Called corticotropin releasing hormone. This travels down that blood supply between the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary, tells the anterior pituitary to release adrenal corticotropic hormone. This gets released into the bloodstream, travels through the bloodstream, goes to the adrenal gland, and tells it to release what, Matthew?
1: Sorry, I was just looking at the computer. I, wasn't <laughs> I know, that's why I asked you. <laughs>
0: It releases, adrenal corticotropic hormone, when it gets to the adrenal gland, it releases mineralocorticoids.
1: Okay, so that's the outer one? Is that the vesicular?
0: That is the aldosterone and cortisol.
1: So, the, the layers, you got the capsule, you've got the zona glomerulosa. That's right. The zona vesiculata and the zona reticularis. Mm-hmm. They're... That's the cortex, right? That's right. And the main ones that they release are the mineral corticoids. Yes, which, which is like aldosterone. aldosterone. Yep. Glucocorticoids, which is like cortisol. Cortisol. And the... Um, what are they called? Like testosterone, estrogen. Uh, androgens. Androgens, yeah. yeah. So, they're the ones that are mostly played with, with this.
0: That's right. Effect. And now, when they're released, why would we need to be releasing adrenocorticotropic hormones? Why would we need to release cortisol, aldosterone, and some androgens such as testosterone?
1: Um, well, I think... Starting it's mainly with those first two. The, those the minerals, uh, again, probably go around um, osmolarity and blood volume and those kind of things where you want to regulate um, volume of blood and the osmolarity of blood.
0: So I'd say, firstly, just to simplify it, it's released often during times of stress. Okay. So in times of stress... Uh, you're going to release cortisol, and this stress may not necessarily be, you know, you're freaking out because someone's just running at you with a knife. You could, it could be stressed because your body's being, uh, has some sort of like infection. exam, exam period. Well, maybe an exam period, but also an infection. Okay. Um, and so you can release cortisol, and cortisol is a stress hormone, and basically tells your body to start to release stored glucose and use it for energy. Mm-hmm. right aldosterone like you said is going to go to the kidneys increase the reabsorption of sodium increase in blood pressure and increase in blood pressure is obviously going to be important it's going to you know re- allow for oxygen delivery around the body and so forth does that make sense yeah i think so okay
1: i don't, I don't think there's any much more that we need to really talk
0: about do you want to talk about like addison's and cushing's disease i think
1: we'll do that when we go down to the adrenal gland. As so in I think when we do that as an episode,
0: yeah. Okay, gotcha. All
1: right. I think we'll we'll go into more depth when we do the adrenal gland. All right, cool. But I think it's just important to say from the hypothalamus we have a releasing factor that will go to the anterior which is going to release ACTH mm-hmm. from the cells, which are the corticotrophs and that will then go to the adrenal gland, which is going to cause the release and the modulation of uh, the mineral and the glucocorticoids. All right, and the androgens.
0: So. When the anterior pituitary gland wants to release thyroid-stimulating hormone, the hypothalamus needs to release a hormone to tell it to do so. Okay. The hypothalamus releases thyrotropin-releasing hormone. Okay. Thyrotropin-releasing hormone comes from the hypothalamus down through that blood vessel that separates the hypothalamus, the portal system. Down to the anterior pituitary, it then releases thyroid-stimulating hormone, which travels to the thyroid and tells the thyroid to create thyroid hormone. And just generally speaking, thyroid hormone plays a very broad role in metabolism. Yeah, so that's T3, T4. T3, T4. And this metabolism has to do with temperature regulation, using glucose for energy, and so forth. So you can have overactive or underactive thyroid, right? And that's at the thyroid itself, so primary. Yeah, that's right.
1: So, that's where you'd have to find, and this is what the endocrinologist will be doing, if he or she suspect there is a thyroid issue, they need to then figure out, is it the thyroid gland itself that's a problem, or is it coming from the pituitary, or is it coming from the hypothalamus? So, is it a tertiary, is it secondary, or primary problem? Yeah. And that will drive the treatment.
0: Yeah. And usually, if you got some of the, you know, very quickly, some of the biggest differences between hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism has to do with what you'd expect when it comes to metabolism and temperature regulation. So, those with hyperthyroidism, usually quite thin because they're over-metabolizing. Really stressed. They, yep, stressed. They um, sweat quite a bit as well.
1: So, they got, um, they're insensitive to hot temperatures.
0: hmm And those with hypothyroidism, usually aren't sweating that much. Cold. Cold Cold intolerance. Yep, cold intolerance. Put weight on easy. That's right. Yeah. Highlighting storage of of energy and so Mm. forth. Mm. All right, gonadotropins. When the anterior pituitary gland... gonads, so ovaries or testes. So when the anterior pituitary gland wants to release gonadotropins, which is follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, now remember, these two hormones are named by what they do in the female... Not what they do in the male.
1: Well, I mean, males, te- you could argue that the follicles of males are still the spermatocytes.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'd argue against that. <laughs> <laughs> because what do you do with luteinizing hormone?
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, uh, the follicles, technically, you would still say you have your oocytes and your spermatocytes, there. Mm. they're the follicles that you stimulate
0: in. Well, I wouldn't... Yeah, okay. So, but I would basically... We'll do an episode on this, but I'll just very briefly say that follicle-stimulating hormone will stimulate... Follicles in the ovaries to be produced, yep. and, and luteinizing sp- hormone and will
1: sperm to be produced in the testes. And sp- well, I was going to get
0: there. <laughs> so, follicle stimulating hormone, like to be equal yeah, well, we'll get Equality there. Of just shut up. <laughs> follicle stimulating hormone in the female, yeah, stimulate a follicle to be produced. and this is going to be containing an egg, and then the luteinizing hormone tells that egg to be ovulated. Basically, right. that's very sim- simplistically, but that's what it does. In males, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone will tell the cells to release testosterone, which mm-hmm. will then stimulate spermatogenesis, and that will stimulate sperm production. Okay, so basically, the release of an egg in a female and the release of sperm in males. In
1: L- LH is the release of the egg in the in the female.
0: That's right. Yeah. Okay. So FSH.
1: I, I guess we can leave this to when we go down to the um to the reproductive. Yeah, you're right by saying FSH in the females is the follicles, but that would constitute maybe twenty eggs per cycle. Mm. Okay, one will become dominant generally. Yeah, but FSH can grow up to twenty per cycle. Whereas FSH in males is continually just driving spermatogenesis. That's just right, the making of new sperm.
0: And it'll only kick in once puberty hits for males. Yeah,
1: and then LH in the male is more about the interstitial cell. And so they're the Leydig cells, which are important for testosterone. That's right. So that's kind of where it fits. And as you'd imagine, if with feedback loops, if you were to bump up testosterone, Mm. um, it would then act back at the testes and that that would shrink. Yeah. And so if you were to give someone excessive amounts of testosterone Bodybuilders, they get tiny testes. testes (laughs) become smaller. That's it. Here's one that's interesting. I just thought I'd put in. Before, let's say before the 19 uh, I'm guessing 40s. Yeah. How did they do a pregnancy test?
0: Well, at the moment they use human chorionic growth hormone, right? Or gonadotropin. H- sorry, hormone. human chorionic gonadotropin or hCG. hCG. H-C- so H-C- hCG Yeah, hCG. H-C-G. Yeah, yeah, H-C-G. So, and hCG is mm-hmm. released when um a uh, the egg is implanted yep. into the uterine wall yep. and then HCG is released. So, then you do a P-test and test positive for that. Okay, pregnancy. So, before then, I assume they didn't have a test for that. So, I wouldn't have a clue how they tested if you're pregnant or not.
1: Well, uh, I I guess it's varied. But what they a big thing that used to happen is I think in Africa, there was an institute that would have these frogs. Right. And... All over the world, doctors would send urine samples of females, and they'd get the urine sample, and they would inject it into the, the leg of the frog. Yeah. Okay. Put the frog back into the you know, pond, not the pond, but the <laughs> tank. Yeah. And next morning, if it was a positive for pregnancy, so there was HCG G. in it, um, the, the frog would lay eggs.
0: Really? Yeah. Because the HCG would be stimulating the frog's hormonal cycle.
1: It would No, it would just mimic LH for the frog.
0: Oh, it's telling it to release, release the eggs. Ah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's interesting. Rabbit,
1: yeah. And they did it with rabbits as well, but rabbits would die as a result. Really? So, not so good outcome for the rabbits. Wow. So, so there you go. So, if you want to... Well, I didn't, no, do, actually, that. I I didn't do that, that. that for cow. What, you didn't do it to, to a cane toad?
0: Oh, <laughs> God. No, imagine that. Um, okay. All right.
1: So, so. that's that's the gonadotrophs. I think we'll do that Yeah, um, more depth a a later time. So we've done. Now the last one. Viro, corticos, now we go to the the lacto- lactose.
0: La- okay. <laughs> lactose. All right. So unlike the others, prolactin is going to be constituently released.
1: So, it will kind of just keep releasing on its own.
0: So, instead of getting a stimulation from the hypothalamus to tell it to release, it needs to get a stimulation from the hypothalamus, or I should say, an, inib- an in- inhibitory signal from the hypothalamus to tell it to stop being released. Yep. And now, that's what actually does, dopamine. So, okay, firstly, what's prolactin do? Well, you'd
1: imagine, well, in males, so it's very varied in vertebrates, very varied, and it's a, quite an interesting hormone in vertebrates. It, it works very hand-in-hand hand yeah. with growth hormone in vertebrates. And as I said earlier with the fish, it can cause metamorphosis or change in sex in the fish, um, uh, and that, which is driven by temperature, let's say. Um, but it also works hand-in-hand hand with GH, so the growth of the, the uh, body of the animal as well. Yeah. But in humans, it's much more closely regulated to, because we're mammals, um, to the breast. Okay. So, what it really does is help to develop the pre- the breast, um, and then lactation, really, the production of the lactogenic cells in the breast tissue, the gland, okay. to
0: produce the milk. Milk production, cell. but not milk ejection, that's oxytocin. Alright, right, so, dopamine, you said, inhibits it.
1: So, dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter um, from neurons, yeah, that feeds back down into the into the pituitary, which could cause it to not release or slow its release.
0: Do we know why it's dopamine that does this? No. It's interesting. The dopamine is the neurotransmitter that has the inhibitory effect.
1: Yeah, I can't think why. No,
0: I can't think why either. But But I know know now... If anyone knows, let us know.
1: I know now why... If we go back to last week, we spoke about Michael having (laughs) (laughs) seasickness. Yeah. And now it makes sense because you took a dopamine antagonist. I did. Which dopamine, for some reason, has an effect on uh, nausea. It does. Okay. Um, Not so for some
0: reason because dopamine is a trigger at the base of the fourth ventricle, which is our MESA center. What's that Do-
1: called? Chemo trigger zone or something.
0: That's the, yeah, the, the chemoreceptive tr- trigger, trigger zone. Yeah. So that's our vomit center. If dopamine touches that area, you spew. So if you use a dopamine antagonist, it's an anti-emetic. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the chemist and I'm going to say, or pharmacist and say, all right, I want these dopamine antagonists. And he said, no, they're antipsychotics. I said, I know what I'm talking about. Give me the dopamine antagonist. He went, all right, fine. He gave them to me. I took too many. I lost consciousness and I started lactating. (laughs) Okay, the lactation part was not true. So
1: you had... Stains on your t-shirt.
0: I did. I had milk stains. Um, and because I was unconscious, I woke up to find one of the blokes had a milk moustache. <laughs> All right. Not true. That's terrible. Not terrible, true. Terrible.
1: All right. Um, Anything else you want to add there? No. Nah. I've got a couple of cool side points with prolactin in other animals.
0: Okay. We'll judge whether they're cool or not.
1: <laughs> so prolactin in birds. Oh, okay. It's always birds and fish. Well, it's vertebrates. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Um, in birds, so as you'd imagine, they're um, boring. With, with the production of milk, you need a lot of fat, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, birds pro- don't produce milk. He-
1: well, not, not entirely. But whoa
0: whoa whoa, 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 whoa.
1: We said in the breast lecture that the start <laughs> we of. We did a
0: breast lecture? Oh, yeah, hey, we did too, lactation.
1: Um, that the first derivative of breast came from probably birds where they had a milk patch. Or at least... Oh, we did too, didn't we? Yeah. So, uh, as you'd imagine, if you need to produce milk as a mother, uh, it pulls a lot of fat out of the fat tissue. Yeah. Okay. And that's why they generally lose weight with breastfeeding. Yeah. Uh, But in the birds, prolactin will cause a change in lipid synthesis and actually helps them to fatten. And before they go, um, so for the birds that do migration, they want to get fat before they go on a thousand kilometre journey. Mm. And so, they fatten up or they become more broody. So, for my chickens, I guess if I was really that way inclined, I could take prolactin levels and you could predict when they're going to become broody. That means they're going to sit on their eggs. So, they would... So, do
0: do, do farmers do this? Do they play around with exogenous prolactin? I I
1: don't know. Maybe. Hmm. There's an an area of research for you. They'll also (laughs)
0: lose...
1: Feathers around their kind of breast area, which helps to have an intimate contact with the egg, um, for thermoregulation for the egg, and also go into the. It actually produces kind of milk from the from the skin. Really, yeah, and that's important for immune function.
0: Okay, any other animals we don't care about?
1: You didn't seem to care about that. (laughs) I thought it was cool. It is interesting. Prolactin is. is important for lizards to grow back their tail. Really? Yeah. So when they lose their tail. Help to grow up back is prolactin driven, Huh. and also probably help um, the parental care of fish to their many offspring. Do they do that?
0: Do fish have parental care? Or do I they think at a point in time, they... squirt them out and then off they go. Have
1: you seen Pine Nemo?
0: That's a good point. <laughs> it's just one father and a son. That's right. Trying so to, f- trying to of... find the mother. Had a. Can't remember it actually. Had a. Uh, uh, no, finding Nemo. It's finding him. It's finding the... Yeah, but
1: then Nemo... No, that was still Nemo went to
0: look for his mum, didn't he?
1: No, the mum got taken out.
0: Oh, really? Early, early, on. early
1: on. It was a dad. But he got separated by his dad came back. Oh, no, the dad looked for the son.
0: That's right. Now, isn't it because clownfish can change sex? So the dad was the mum and the dad? I have no idea. I can't remember. The final
1: point that I do want to make... Yeah? ...is... Uh, A lot of these um, secretion issues that happen from the pituitary is due to an adenoma, which is a benign tumour in the pituitary or in the stalk or around the hypothalamus.
0: It's a glandular tumour.
1: Which we said would have an effect on um, potentially the chiasm, so the patient may also present with visual change. Um, But I I did read that um, 10% of the population will have a non productive adenoma anyway. So, so it, one so in ten people, if yeah. you did an MRI of their brain, you would actually have an enlarged pituitary gland
0: anyway. Um, that has no effect on hormone release That's right. Wow.
1: So, my point is an MRI scan of the pituitary gland is not indicative of a diagnosis because you'd need to look at the hormones and all the feedback loops. Wow, that's so you interesting. Need, you need to see if the releasing factor or the inhibiting factor from the hypothalamus is being affected, or low or high. You need to look at the release of all those hormones that we spoke about from the pituitary, are high or low, and you need to look at what's happening at the gland level, whether it's high or low or inactive or not working. Yeah, okay. So endocrinology is a tough area of medicine. Oh, yeah. And it's cause of all these feedback loops and it's sudden insane. changes. And the final point: if you do, this have, is your fifth yeah, final oh, have point. My final point. Yeah. If you do have a hypo pituitarism or hypothyroidism, not hypothyroidism, hypo... Pituitarism, uh, yeah. Thala, thala, thalamusism. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is way, should the press The way stop? that these hormones, at least we'll go with the, post, the anterior pituitary, the way that they manifest is the actual, the least important, I really shouldn't say the least important, but let's say the least severe ones, would be the first affected and the ones that... First
0: affected or first to manifest?
1: The manifest. Um, so, for instance, if a person had hypopituriturism, it's likely that their somatotrophs... So, growth can, hormone? The growth hormones and the gonadotrophs... Yeah, so, yep. so follicle-stimulating hormone... ...would it, cause image. an effect first, okay. which is less severe acting on you than the, than the corticotrophs would be and the um, thyrotrophs would be. Wow,
0: well, okay. That's interesting. Mm. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right.
1: So that was uh, an intro to the endocrine system, but also um, the pituitary gland and the hypothalamus.
0: Which is probably the, the biggest one. I mean, the rest, when we look through the others, we're just going to do a couple of the most important ones, and then we'll focus on some other topics. Uh, if you have any topics that you do want us to cover, please let us know. Let us know by Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or however you like. Um, We're happy to do a topic uh, that you'd like us to cover within reason. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. We know that we're getting a lot of great feedback from those of you who are studying, those of you who are studying medicine, paramedicine, nursing, OT and so forth, or just general fans of science and medicine and health. Let us know. Give us the feedback. And again, it's really good. Past couple of weeks, we've been in the top 10 for science and medicine podcasts, which is awesome. We've got wonderful feedback, and our subscribers and listenership is going through the roof. Please talk to your friends. Tell them if they're studying medicine or nursing, whatever it may be. Hopefully, this can be a helpful resource for them. Yeah. Otherwise, me. we've got a YouTube channel, which has hundreds of videos that outline in within 10 to 15-minute blocks. We outline... Certain concepts. Anatomy, concepts, anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, pharmacology, whatever it may be. That is under the channel Biological Sciences. Just look for my pretty face.
1: And so, yeah, with that as well, if you've got topics that you wanted to do a video on, we can do that as well. Um, I think that's it.
0: That's it. Matthew, speak to you soon. Listeners, goodbye.